part of our formation program in seminary, uh, which I finished uh, just this last year, uh, was to uh, take a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. This happened uh, just before our ordination to the diaconate, and it was a, a wonderful opportunity for which I'm very grateful. We got to do many uh, great things. I got to get up early and sit out by the seashore, by the Sea of Galilee, and watch the sun rise across the sea. Beautiful, peaceful, prayerful. We got probably the most potent experience was visiting the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. There, uh, one can go inside the church and see the geography of where our Lord was crucified. One can look through a window and see a crack running from top to bottom of Mount Calvary, where the earth split when he hung his head and died, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. One can climb the steps to the top of Mount Calvary and put one's hand through an aperture in the floor and feel a hole in the rock where it is said the cross once stood. And most powerfully of all, one can wait in a, in a very long line or get up very, very early and go and kneel in prayer inside the tomb of the Lord himself. Uh, where he was buried, and from where on the third day he gloriously rose from the dead. All of this is very big medicine. But the most potent experience of the whole trip for me uh, was, not, was not that, but a different church in, in Nazareth, the Basilica of the Annunciation. And to look at, this basilica is uh, nothing to write home about, unlike some of the other churches there. It's kind of a large, unfortunately, a brutalist kind of concrete uh, structure. But, but Inside, the, the church has different uh, images of Our Lady from around the world. And then one can go downstairs into the crypt part of the church, the basement, basically, which is the most interesting part of the whole structure. Because there you can see the history of the Holy Land uh, really portrayed uh, through architecture, if you will, or through the remnants of it anyway. You can see the 19th century Franciscan church, which had to be demolished to create the bigger structure that's currently on the site. And beneath the ruins, uh, the uh, foundation of that 19th century church, you can see the outline of the, the 12th century Crusader Basilica uh, that was built there by the, the knights who journeyed from all around Europe uh, to conquer the Holy Land for Christ. Beneath the ruins of that foundation, one can see uh, the, a 6th century basilica's foundations from the Byzantine Empire. Before uh, the Islamic Empire conquered them and drove them out of the Holy Land, they controlled that region and had built a basilica in that spot in Nazareth. And beneath the foundation of that basilica, archaeologists found a house. No, uh, nothing remarkable uh, could be seen about this house on first sight. It looked like all of the other houses there in the town of Nazareth, a, a humble uh, rock and mud dwelling. But what was remarkable was what they found, these archaeologists, written on the walls of this house. Prayers, hundreds of them. Prayers addressed to the Virgin Mary. One of them is familiar, though it was written in ancient Greek. Chaire Mariam simply means Hail Mary. From the first days of the Christian church, Christians were going there to that house because it was Mary's house, and it was the house to which the angel Gabriel came in that town of Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to Joseph, a virgin whose name was Mary. There inside that house, excavated today, uh, is an altar. And on the front of that altar, there's a familiar phrase with a twist. We often hear uh, the phrase in our prayers and in the Mass, from the prologue of John's Gospel, 
and the word became flesh. In Latin, that's et verbum caro factum est. On the front of that altar is inscribed the phrase et verbum hic caro factum est. And the word became flesh here. Because in that place, the God who is outside of time, who made heaven and earth, who is not bound by any figment of our reality, took on himself a human nature and became a man conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. The eternal God became a man. And that should surprise us as much today as it surprised Elizabeth when Mary uh, visited her home and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is she indeed. Elizabeth concludes her little speech here with a line that we would also do well to hear. Blessed are you who believed that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. None of us will conceive the Lord in our womb, but all of us can believe and then be blessed that what was spoken to us by the Lord would be fulfilled. Because today on this altar, again, here, the word will become flesh. At the consecration of this mass, the Lord of heaven and earth will descend here to his creation again. In the form of bread and wine, he will become incarnate again, and we will receive him as the Virgin Mary received him so long ago. We, too, through him, can become blessed if we believe the promises the Lord has spoken to us. When we receive the Lord proclaiming Amen, we proclaim the faith of Mary and the faith of Elizabeth, that the God who came so long ago comes still to us today, and blessed can we be when we receive him. That should surprise us as profoundly as it surprised Elizabeth so long ago. But notice the source of Elizabeth's surprise. It is not surprise at the blessing of God. She almost expected the blessing of God, it seems. Otherwise, how would she know these things, that the mother of her Lord had come to her? This much she had some sense of. Her surprise was that the mother of her Lord should come to her. Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And we should be surprised in the same way. Who are we to receive the Lord in Holy Communion? By no merit of ours does the Lord come to us, but only of his gracious favor. And we should be surprised every week, every day that we receive the Eucharist, that he comes to us, poor sinners that we are, and nevertheless comes every day to bless us with his favor. Blessed are we who believed if we believe what is spoken to us by the Lord. All of these characters in this uh, gospel narrative, Elizabeth, and then of course Elizabeth is the wife of Zachary. Mary, of course, is, is betrothed, espoused to Joseph. All of these characters respond in one way or another to the Lord's coming in an interesting way, and each of them at some point makes a very generous response, and they've clearly been prepared to do so. They've been prepared to do so, although they're surprised, all of them, by the Lord's grace because of their own humility. All of them are, are ready. They, their surprise is not from unreadiness. It's, it's rather from humility. And their readiness comes from the fact that they're so deeply steeped in the faith of their people. 
that they know the prophecies so well, that they've read Isaiah, that they've heard those words that we heard today. Blessed are you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, in you will be born the Messiah. They knew the words of the prophecies, and their surprise was not that the prophecies would be fulfilled, but, the prophecy, but that the prophecies would be fulfilled for them, handmaidens, lowly handmaids of the Lord that they were. We can be met with the same humble surprise only if we have the same humble faith, only if we too are immersed in the faith of our people, in the tradition of the church, the lives of the saints, our history, and especially the Holy Scriptures. So during these last few days of Advent, I would encourage you to crack open the the Bible and read the opening of the Gospel of Luke, the whole thing. We hear bits and pieces at various masses throughout the Advent season, but you kind of miss the whole arc of the story. If you don't sit down for yourself, even better if you sit down with, with the family, open the Gospel of Luke and read it from the first verse up to the birth of the Lord. And I think if you do that, you'll get an even greater sense of the mystery of the incarnation of the Lord and a greater reverence for him uh, in heaven uh, as our God and here on the altar in the Holy Eucharist. So I encourage each of you to do that, to, to open, open your Bibles, Luke 1.1, 1, 1, and, and just read a few chapters. It'll take less than half an hour to get up to uh, the, the hymn of glory that the angels sing on Christmas Day, and it would be a great way, uh, even at a family gathering, to, to celebrate the Lord's incarnation and to prepare ourselves to receive him. Because after all, we do not need to travel across the world to the Holy Land. It is a holy land wherever the Lord's love dwells, and here, where the Lord will become flesh again for us, is holy land. Wherever God's will is done, that is where the holy land is, and our hearts can become that holy place where the Lord is pleased to dwell.